As you know, uh, 10 weeks ago, I was on a sabbatical and, well, I was for, for the last three months, but 10 weeks ago I was in um, Kenya in their capital city of Nairobi. And on that particular Sunday, I've been asked to preach at a church in a slum called the Kabira Slum. So if you imagine um, Nairobi is just a big bustling city, four million people or so in this city and malls and traffic and everything you would have with a big city. Uh, lots of places that were as nice as any place that we would have around here. It was winter time over there. So remember when it was 120 degrees here, it was like 60 there. So it was great. Uh, but an odd, the odd thing about uh, Nairobi is in the middle of the city, kind of like what you might think of Central Park, there's a slum. It's called the Kabira Slum. It's pretty well known. And in this slum, that's a very small area, uh, geographically live a million, about a million people. And it's very odd because you're you're in this bustling city with all the sort of technology and uh, that sort of thing. And then you get to the edge of the slum and it, there's no pavement. There's no concrete. It's just dirt and trash and and mud huts that are all stacked uh, next to each other with tin roofs and a million people living in this little area. And so I was asked to preach in a church in that area. And we, we sort of drove to a, a particular location and had to walk down to the church. And so as we walked down this relatively narrow path and, and, and the, the tin roofs were coming out with these sharp edges that you had to be careful of, the, the path was just full of garbage and raw sewage because they didn't have any running water or plumbing there. And so you're sort of, well, I'm, I'm wearing the exact same thing as I wore that Sunday. And I'm, wa- I'm walking down, you know, this clay path, all this stuff caking on my shoes. I'm trying not to fall down. And um, suddenly we just take a, a right into a little door because the church looks about like all the houses. And we're in the church. And it's got a little window in the back. And there's maybe 25 kids and a dozen adults. And they're sitting on little little wooden pews. Uh, that were pretty rickety, and uh, they're they're singing, and we're trying to sing with them in Swahili uh, as much as we could, and they sang some English songs, and and then they had some announcements just like we did, and then they had a time where kids came up and they recited a Bible verse or they sang a song. It was really not, uh, in some sense, a not a lot different than ours. Um, I, I sat in front of the pastor's wife and she had a tambourine and she just kind of, you know, ticked off a countenance. So I don't know if Nancy wants to, you know, get a tambourine and tick that off. But somebody was in the back with a drum and they played a drum and we just, you know, we did our best to have a, a worship service. It was really wonderful. And at the end of the singing portion, the pastor invited me to come up and preach. And when I came up, an elder came up with me who knew English well enough to listen to me and obviously knew Swahili. And so he was my translator. And the text that I used that particular Sunday was this text out of Mark chapter 10. And I preached for about 20 minutes and he reinterpreted for 20 minutes. And I'm sure he made my sermon all the better. Um, 
and then we sat down, and that was effectively the end of the service. But the elder stayed up there, and at the end of the time, he he wanted to just thank the Americans that had come to to give to their community. And uh, so he did that to the folks that were there, and then at, at the end, he looked at me, and I'm sitting there on the on the front row, and and he he said to me, now. You have a fire in you. And we are so grateful that you have come to share that fire with us. But now your responsibility, your call is to go back and share that fire with your own community. And, you know, when you're on a sabbatical and you've been in ministry for 25 years, 15 on the Young Life staff and 10 as a church planter, you know, you get tired. And when you go on a sabbatical, you start asking yourself, I mean, am I still in the right place? I mean, you, some of you have been there, haven't you? I mean, I think I, I made the right decision. I felt like he called me. But is this still where you want me to be? Is there something else that you want me to do? Is there some other place? Is there? I want to be used, but I, I don't want to be in a place that's not the right place for you. And so on a sabbatical, you get a chance to step away from the noise and the things that happen on an everyday life that that need to happen. But you step away. And and so a lot of my time was devoted to just trying to answer those kinds of questions. And there I was, I was sitting in a little plastic chair. I, I was looking out a, a tiny little window onto a garbage dump. I, I had I don't know what on the bottom of my shoes. And this Kenyan man who I'd never met, God used to speak into my soul. And I, I think you've probably felt that way. Most of you felt that way. You were somewhere, maybe at a church, maybe it was somewhere else, but somebody was saying something and it was as if you were the only person in the room. And so I had that experience and that's. My prayer for us this morning as I, I sat there and I just felt like there was a great kindness from God that he was he was using a vessel that I would have never anticipated to say, Paul, I, you need to go back and keep the fire going in your community. I, you know, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but I just wanted to burst into tears. You ever felt that way? But here I am. I'm the the white American visiting pastor on the front row. I can't just unwind here in front of my Kenyan friends. So I kept it all in until later that night. But as I sat there, I just had some sense that God was saying, and Paul, when you get back, your first sermon back, re-preach this sermon. Now, I had preached this sermon before here, so some of you are going to say, yeah, okay, good. Let's move on to First Peter. Um but I wanted to make this the first sermon back, and, and maybe the fire doesn't fall exactly the same way twice. But really, my prayer is that in some sense, where, wherever you may be this morning, God really has a word for you, that you would have some sense that, yeah, he's using a, the most unlikely vessel to speak a word into my life. So let's pray together before we begin that. Lord. The, the way you work, the, the, the means by which you work are so varied, so miraculous. And there are as many issues here to be addressed as there are people. But I have no doubt that you can take 
uh, one man and one text and one sermon, and you can crash into the life of everyone here. Help us to be open to what you'd have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of you are aware of the principle that whenever you take a a meaningful step toward something, uh, it requires you to take a meaningful step away from something else. You know, it's, it's impossible to stay where you are and step forward. Whenever you're stepping forward, you're stepping away from something. And so every parent understands this, that as they watch their child who's maybe 10 or 11 or 12 months, they're, they're crawling around and they get to the stage where they're hanging on to the coffee tables or the chairs. They know at some point the child's going to have to step away from the chair in order to begin his or her adventure out into the world to discover things that they, they haven't been able to discover because they're attached to certain things that are keeping them upright. And they're eventually going to have to let that go. And this happens, this principle happens over and over again in life. It happens in the Bible. You'll remember in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham. And you remember this call? I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. All the people on the whole earth will be blessed through you. Wow. I mean, what an incredible... What if God comes down and says, you know, through you... Everyone on the planet is going to be blessed. Wow. Let's go. I mean, let's, I'm for that. Let's, let's step into that. Well, the verse before says this, Abraham, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's house. He, he understands, God understands, and Abraham understands, I'm sure, that if he's going to take this step into where God wants him to go, to do and see these incredible things, he's going to have to leave, in this case, everything he's familiar with. He's going to have to leave his entire old identity behind, his, his home, his people, his people group, in order to go establish this new nation. He can't stay where he is and also go, go where God wants him to be. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, even though he was equal to God. He didn't hold on to the glory, but he stepped away from that temporarily in order to step into our dark lives. The disciples understand this from Jesus. Jesus looks at them and says, if anyone wants to come after me, what an invitation. You must. You must step away from yourself. You've got to deny yourself. See, you can't hold on to yourself and also be holding on to me. Jesus is saying, if you're ready to take that step forward, then you're going to have to let go of something. There's something in yourself that's going to have to be lost in order to gain really the whole world. Christians through history understand this choice. Perpetua is a young lady in the year 200 A.D., She lives in a time of great persecution of the church. She's just given birth to a son. She's still 
breastfeeding the son. But she's recently become a convert to Christianity and the Roman officials come to her town and they're just scooping up all the Christians in her town. And she gets scooped up and taken to prison. And here was the deal. If you recant what you believe, if you deny that you're a believer, you can go back to your old life. But if you don't, you're going to be eaten by animals in the Colosseum on the next Saturday. So here she is. The historian says her breast still dripping with milk. Her father brings her newborn to her and holds the newborn up to the prison cell door and says, please say no to Jesus just for the sake of your son. Who's going to take care of your son if you die? And Perpetua understands that, you know, there's some costs to following Jesus. If you're going to say yes to him, there are going to be some things, even good things, you're going to have to say no to. And so later that weekend, she's taken out and she's killed by wild animals. Not quite killed, but drugged to a pile of bodies. And although she was just barely alive, she took the sword and put it next to her neck so that when the Roman soldier swung the next time at her, that would put her to death. That's how she died. You see, if you're going to follow after Christ, if you're going to say yes to his invitation, it's going to require saying no to something else. You, you can't go in his direction and stay where you are at the same time. And so in our text this morning, we're going to see a contrast of these two men, one who's willing to take a step away from his world and one who is not. And the person that we want to focus our attention on primarily this morning is a man named Bartimaeus. You see him in Verse 46, Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Just to have an understanding of the background here. Jesus, a couple of chapters later, has taken his disciples on this field trip. And he took them on this field trip. And on this field trip, he said, hey, who do you say that I am? They'd been with Jesus enough times. He brings his disciples forward and says, okay, now, compared to all the other gods in the world, all the other people on the stage, I'm standing on the stage. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right. And then he starts to inform his disciples that I'm going, I'm taking one last trip to Jerusalem. And on this trip, I'm going to be put to death. And three days later, I'm going to rise from the grave. And so they're on this journey. They're away from this field trip. They're making their way back towards Jerusalem. And they've come now to this city 15 miles outside of Jerusalem called Jericho. And they're coming near during the Passover. So thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people are coming through Jericho on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. It's a very crowded road, the 15-mile walk uphill from Jerusalem or from Jericho to Jerusalem. At this same moment, while Jesus and the disciples and the other pilgrims are making their journey from Jericho to Jerusalem, there's another man who's making a much shorter journey. He's a man who lives in Jericho. He's a blind man. His name is Bartimaeus. And we don't know too much about Bartimaeus' past, but you can imagine a blind man at that time living in Jericho. We know he has a cloak. He probably sleeps in some sort of alleyway. 
And he gets up every morning and he grabs his cloak and it puts him around him and he takes his stick and he sort of taps his way out to the city gate. So what, whoever may be passing by that point, just like you may see here in the city or other cities that, you know, where people are coming through, there are the poor and there he spread his cloak out. He's he's waiting for some sort of gift. But Bartimaeus on this particular day, he's excited because thousands of pilgrims are coming. So he knows this is the day for the big haul. This is Christmas for blind Bartimaeus. The people are on their way to celebrate what God has done, to remember what God has done. They're going to be in a good mood. I've got myself staked out a spot. I'm going to put my cloak out there. But what Barnabas doesn't realize that it's a divine intersection. Jesus is going to pass by. The real treasure is going to pass by. And here we find Bartimaeus on the side of the road and Jesus and his disciples walking by. And of all the people in the scene, Bartimaeus is the person who gets Jesus to stop. I mean, there are thousands of people in this scene. And the least likely person gets Jesus's attention and gets him to stop. And I want to just briefly examine three parts of this text. I want us to see Bart, Bartimaeus' sense of urgency, Bartimaeus' understanding of Jesus and himself, and finally, maybe most importantly, Bartimaeus' abandonment to the Savior. So Bartimaeus has an urgency, Bartimaeus has an understanding of himself and of Jesus, and then he's willing to abandon Let's look at verse 46 and 47. And they came to Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho. This is Jesus. He's with his disciples and a great great crowd. Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You, you immediately get this sense of uh, a critical intersection. We don't know how Bartimaeus must have heard about uh, or heard about Jesus, but here we are at the end of a three-year ministry, and, and Bartimaeus is in a pretty important town of Jericho, and certainly news of the rabbi who heals people, maybe even has healed blind people before. It's gotten to Bartimaeus somehow, and somehow in the crowd, he begins to hear Jesus is passing by, or, or the Messiah is passing by, or, or that one man, that special rabbi is passing by, and, and Jesus comes by, and Bartimaeus has this sense of urgency. He, he doesn't know if he's ever going to get his chance again, and you can just imagine, he hears the shuffling of feet. He doesn't know which feet are the feet of the Savior. Savior. He doesn't know which way to project his voice, so he's just saying, Jesus, if you're, if you're anywhere in the, in, the, in the hearing of my voice, would you please have mercy on me, a, a blind man, a, a piece of human debris here on the side of the road? And I would say the same thing is happening right here. In the proclamation of the gospel, Jesus is passing by. 
And I'm wondering if anyone here has that sense of urgency. I, I, I feel like my life is just wasting away. I feel like the blind beggar on the side. Just, things are passing me by. Uh, nobody notices who I am. I'm just sort of, sort of washed up because of my situation physically or relationally or mentally or emotionally or whatever it may be. And, and you have that sense of urgency. You came today feeling like, I need Jesus to, to stop. I need need him to stop and look at me and and address things in my life. And and are you willing to cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy? Bartimaeus isn't going to let his his moment pass by. We don't know if Jesus is going to pass this way again. We know from Bartimaeus he doesn't pass this way again. And I don't know if Jesus is going to pass by you this morning and it's going to be your last morning for him to pass by. You may feel like you've got more time, but, you know, this may be the last time he passes by. I remember one summer sitting at a camp, a Young Life camp, Windy Gap, up in the mountains of Asheville, North Carolina. And I sat at the poolside with this high school kid. And we talked about Jesus. And I can't remember the conversation particularly. It was just, you know, part of the week of camp and having a conversation. And he didn't go to the school I was doing ministry, but I sort of knew of him. And I would cross paths with him a time again. And, you know, the very next summer, I remember being in the hospital at his bedside as they pulled the plug on his life support. See, see, you don't know. You don't know when the last time is that Jesus is going to pass by. Really, when we right at the beginning of the church, we were still over at Temple Baptist Activity Center. And I was standing at the door and, you know, I was really wanting a donut, but I was greeting people as they were leaving. And so um, a mother and her young boy were coming through and, hey, how's it going? And he had colored something in the Sunday school class and we were talking about it and. Later that week, I stood by his bed as he died, and his parents sat there and watched it. See, you just you don't know when is the last time Jesus is going to pass by. But today, he's passing by. And maybe there's an urgency in your life that you need him to stop. You need him to address you, and I would encourage you to cry out. You know, probably the most frustrating Verse in this whole passage is verse 48. Look at it with me. He cries out and then look at the crowd. Many rebuked Bartimaeus. Why don't you shut up? Isn't that amazing? The people who could see Jesus are telling the person who can't see Jesus to just shut up. I mean, you're a piece of human debris. You're looking for something. You have nothing to give to Jesus. Why would he possibly stop for somebody like you? You might feel that way. You just don't have anything to give. In fact, the things that you do have, you're so ashamed of, you don't even want them to see. So, I love Bartimaeus here. And if we could learn one thing, I'd want us to learn what we learn, so he cries out all the more. (laughs) 
You see, he's not going to let the crowd decide what he does. See, that's so easy for us. The crowd speaks into our life and says, Paul, what you think is stupid. Okay, it's stupid. I guess I won't do it anymore. No. You cry out all the more. Doesn't look like he's answering your prayers, Paul. Oh, yeah, I guess he doesn't answer prayers. You're right. I should stop praying. No. You, you hear those voices. You might have somebody important in your life, a, a professor, a parent, and trying to say, hey, what you're doing is not real. Maybe somebody snuck up to Bartimaeus and said, you know what? He already passed by. He can't hear you anymore. But, but Bartimaeus isn't going to allow his fear. He's not going to allow people to come into his life and say, you know, it's not real. He's going to keep crying out. He's going to say, I believe there is a God out there that if he's out there, he's going to stop and he's going to address my issues. And, and just imagine both from a, a physical and a spiritual realm what happens. Jesus hears, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. And he stops. And then all the crowd stops, right? Some people probably bump into the back of Jesus. And spiritually, angels are traveling the same road. Angels are stopping. Hey, the Savior has stopped. I wonder what he's thinking. What does he hear? What do you think Jesus hears on the way to the cross? When a beggar says, would you have mercy on me? I wonder what went through Jesus's mind as he's just a few days away from the crucifixion. And here is a blind beggar saying, would you have mercy on me? Oh, yes, I will. And you don't even know what I'm talking about yet, Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus' sense of urgency gets Jesus to stop. And I'm just wondering if there's anyone here that has that sense of urgency. Meaning, you're not going to allow other things to get in your way. You're going to continue to cry out. You're not going to say, oh, it's kind of goofy to talk to the pastor afterwards or get prayed for by an elder. I don't know. I've got to check out what my mom has to say. I mean, you're just going to say, I need help. I'm blind. I need, I need the Almighty to stop. And you're going to... Continue to cry out. The second thing that Bartimaeus helps us with is he understands two critical things. He understands himself. He understands Jesus. Not everything about either, but enough. We read uh, in our affirmation the question number one from the Heidelberg Confession. This is an old Reformation confession that occasionally we use questions from. And if you remember the first, the question was, what is your only comfort in life and in death? So the, the Heidelberg Catechism is structured so you'd say, well, where can I find comfort in this life? And it answers that, the part that we read. The second question is basically, where can I find happiness? Isn't that interesting? It was written 400 years ago. And the first two questions the people, the people that wrote the catechism were trying to ask is, where can you find comfort and where can you find happiness? Isn't that what everyone is asking right now? <laughs> Those are the two things I'm looking for, and here are the answers. And so the second question says this. Let me read it to you. How many things are necessary for you to know 
that you, enjoying the comfort that you just found out about Jesus, may live and die happily. How many things do you need to know in order to live and die happily? Here's their answer. You need to know three things. You need to know how great your sin is and how great your misery is. Second thing, you need to know how you can be delivered from your sin and misery. And third, you need to know how you can express gratitude for God, to God for such a deliverance. Isn't that interesting? You want happiness. Here, here's what you need to know. You need to know how miserable you are. You need to know that there's a great delivery. And then you need to be able to express that delivery. Those are the three things. And interestingly enough, Bartimaeus understands. Just all we hear is this one thing. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So he understands something about Jesus, the deliverer. He understands something about himself. And that's enough for him to see Jesus. Let's just look at these as they go. First, Jesus, son of David. We understand that's the the Old Testament Messiah term. That the son of David, the, the real king is going to come. The real king is going to pass by. Isaiah says this, in that day the son of David will stand. When, when, when the real king comes, Isaiah is saying, in that day the son of David will stand as a signal or a, a banner or a flag for the people. So whatever Isaiah may have had in mind, it's a, it's a great banner that's hanging, that's, that's flying, and underneath the banner, anyone can come. And the nations will inquire of this person, and this place will be a resting place, and it will be glorious. Where, where, where when Jesus comes, is he lifted up high like a banner? That if you live underneath that banner, it's rest. Here it is. He's lifted up on the cross like a banner. Saying, all you who are sinners, all you who are in misery, come and you can have rest. So Bartimaeus understands the, the real king is, is coming by. He's coming by right at this moment. He, he's not going to waste his opportunity. Second thing he understands, he understands himself. Have mercy on me, a sinner. One definition of mercy is this. Mercy is the aspect of God's love that causes God to help the miserable. Mercy is the aspect of God's love that causes God to help the miserable. Mercy's object the target is misery, and Bartimaeus is miserable. See, people who aren't miserable don't cry out. Because they think they're still in control. And if just a few things break their way, it's okay. And they're looking for help. They're, they're happy to help have God come in and help them. More than happy. Help them do what they predetermined they'd like to do. In other words, I would like to still be king, and I don't mind if God comes in as a lower king to help me. So many people live their lives that way. And Bartimaeus is saying, hey, I'm not a king. I'm not in control. I'm miserable. 
I, I maybe have everything that life could offer, but I'm still miserable and I, I need somebody to come and help me. I need the real king to come by. And so Bartimaeus cries out. He cries out a truth about Jesus and a truth about himself. You don't need to know everything about yourself and everything about Jesus in order to come to Jesus. But you need to know you're a sinner and miserable, and he's the deliverer. That's what you got to know. Final thing, just see it here in verse 49. Look at this. And Jesus stopped, calls him, and they, who are they? All the people who have been telling him to shut up. They turn back around and say, get up, he's calling you. I love the old King James. Be of good comfort, he calleth thee. I love that. Be of good comfort, be of good, he calleth thee. Imagine what Bartimaeus must have thought when he heard, he calleth you, Bartimaeus. I can't believe it myself. But get up. Come to Jesus and look at verse 50. Just a fascinating little piece of information. And and he sprang up and came to Jesus. But what does it say just before that? He throws off his cloak. Why, why would Mark even include this? He throws off his cloak. Well, for a blind man, it would have been an extreme gesture. It's the only thing you have. It's what gives you any sense of protection. It also is what you spread out so people can put their money on as they walk by. And I don't know what Bartimaeus' cloak must have looked like, but I bet it was as good as it ever gets. Here Bartimaeus is sitting. In front of him is his cloak full of money. And just past that is Jesus. And so what does he have to throw away in order to get to Jesus? Everything he owns. Not just the money, but his protection and his source of money. He's throwing it all away in order to get to Jesus. And I think Mark intentionally wants us to understand if you're going to run toward Jesus, if you're going to cry out and you hear him say, he calleth thee, he's he's calling you right now. Then there's something in between you and Jesus that you're going to have to pick up and say, I got to throw that away. I can't come to Jesus without throwing this thing aside. And I don't know what that is for you. You may say, well, Paul, that's a good story, but I mean, Bartimaeus didn't have that much to to lose. I mean, yeah, he's got some dollars, some change, but I mean, I've got a lot of stuff. I've got a cloak full of stuff. So it would have been easier for Bartimaeus to throw that aside than me. That's a bigger ask. I would say if you think that way, I would introduce you to another man in this chapter, verses 17 through 22. He comes, and he's looking for help. And he asks Jesus, what must I do to be saved? He's a rich young man. He 
He's given careful attention to God's law. Perhaps he has some standing in the community. He obviously has some wealth. And, and he thinks he's made a contribution to his own salvation. He, he, there is some hole, but he's saying, you know, there's a big hole and I filled up a lot of the hole. And Jesus, can you just kind of help me with this last little piece? And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. Not because he's miserable, he's not crying out for mercy, he's crying out for approval. See, see, I've done all these things, I'm just looking for your approval. And you may have cried out to Jesus in that way. God, I want you to affirm all the good things that I've done and say that's good enough. And Jesus doesn't do that because it's not good enough. You're miserable, you're a sinner. And this man doesn't understand that. And so what does Jesus ask this man to do? He asked him to do the same thing Bartimaeus volunteered to do. Go home, throw away your cloak, come follow me. What an invitation. But he couldn't throw away his cloak, could he? I mean, he got the same call. Rich young ruler, he calleth thee. Yeah, but I, I can't give up my stuff. See, look at my cloak. It's full of so many good things. I, he, he's got it. Jesus has to come and accept me just the way I am. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. You got to peel these things off. And I don't know what it is for you. It, it might be possessions in this case with the rich young ruler and blind Bartimaeus. But, you know, it could be other things. It could be anger. That you could have a cloak full of anger. God owes me an explanation for why this happened in my life. He doesn't answer me. I'm not coming to him. I've, I've known people who have cloaks full of anger. And they can't throw that anger away. They have to be king. It might be fear. It might be voices in your past. Uh, somebody important that you just say, I just can't throw that voice out of my mind. I, I can't. I've got to make sure I do what my mom wants me to do or what I read in this book or this professor or when I went to college and took this biology class and they convinced me there wasn't a God. I've got to live by I've got my cloak full of these things. I, I cannot throw those things away. Even though I'm miserable, I can't throw them away. It could be possessions. I don't mind giving up a tenth, but, you know, I can't give up everything. That's kind of ridiculous. I don't know what it is for you. But what I'm here to say and what I'm remembering from ten weeks ago is I have no doubt that everyone here has a cloak. Everyone is spreading it out, hoping for whatever it is they're looking for and trying to fill up their lives. And it's difficult to throw it all away. It's not easy. But he calleth thee. The God of all riches, the God of all eternity, he today is passing by and he's calling you. Now you, can you throw it aside? What do you need to throw aside? When I sat on the front row ten weeks ago and 
And he was speaking to me. What is God speaking to you now saying? Yeah, that's that the only reason you're here is for that reason today. You walked in so you, I could tell you this through Bartimaeus. It's a good Sunday, any Sunday, to take communion. But this Sunday we come and we're remembering what Christ has done, that he makes a new covenant that cost him to step towards you. He had to step away and take his own body and his own blood and make a new covenant and say, this is a new covenant. You, you come. But I hope as you come this morning that you would, as you stand up and you, you walk down, if, 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 if just sort of spiritually I could imagine a, an aisle full of cloaks. Yeah, I'm, 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 he's calling me today and I'm coming. But this is what I want to leave behind. And I don't want to run back up and grab it after I'm done. I want to throw it off and say, I'm not going back there again. When I see Jesus, he's going to call me and I'm going to follow after him from that point forward. Lord, we we come. We're all broken here this morning. And you came and entered into this brokenness of our lives. And you calls you call us. He calleth thee. But we all sit here with this cloak in front of us that we think is protecting us, we think is giving us life, and, and we all have something to throw away this morning. For, for those who have thrown it away and they've trusted in you, would they come and be nourished by your presence in this table? For those who are still holding on, may, may they just sit still and consider. Consider that Jesus is passing by today and is calling them. Are they willing to step away from themselves in order to step towards the author of life. Lord, have your way with us, we pray in these few moments. In Jesus' name, amen.